what we refer to as Sunday school, is we will um, begin a new series this morning, basically looking through the book of Acts. Uh, it will take us a while to go through. It's 28 chapters, so at least 28 weeks. I'm going to try to do an overview of a chapter per week, but I already realized today that we'll only make it to verse 11, so... Um, That'll take us up to uh, two or through September, and a little break, usually in the summer, um, as people you know, tend to take vacation and whatnot. So we'll, we'll break in the summer for a few weeks, and we'll get back into it. But we're going to go on a journey. It begins in Jerusalem, and we end up, or we will end up, in the capital city of Rome with our eyes firmly affixed upon the expansion um, of the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ as he commissions the disciples here in chapter 1 to, to preach the gospel to the ends of the earth. So, before we read the first 11 verses, let's open in prayer and then we'll, we'll take a look at what's here uh, this morning. Hopefully for your benefit. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your precious word given to us, having granted us the ability of understanding because of the resident presence of the Spirit, for the things that are foolishness to the world are a matter of eternal security and life for us. So we are very thankful, Lord, to be saved, that you died for our sins, and that you uh, hold us unto the end. Sanctify us, Lord, in the truth, as your word is truth, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right, beginning in verse 1, let's read these 11 verses here. And the Word of God reads, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven... As he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This ends the reading of God's word. Well, this is what's known as the, the second of two accounts um, that uh, Luke writes. Uh, the first, of course, being the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The second being the acts 
or the works of the apostles. Um, and, and what Luke has handed down is not so much uh, two books as it is two parts of the same book, really. Two parts of the same book. Um, two halves of the same story. The workings and the works and teachings of our Lord and then the apostles taking the torch, carrying the torch on, um, and that is the teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, it's, it's written to uh, Theophilus. Um, Theophilus means friend or lover of God. Phileo, the Greek word uh, love. Theos, God, lover of God, or it can also mean one who's loved by God. So this is to whom it was addressed. Um, in the ancient world, oftentimes um, certain publications were, were dedicated to members of nobility. Uh, so many believe that Theophilus was a high-ranking official, a believer, no doubt, um, to which um, this letter was originally uh, um, penned. Uh, the author, of course, is Luke, uh, the great physician, travel companion um, of the Apostle Paul. Um, a very well-educated man, and uh, linguistic scholars say that uh, Luke is one who wrote very polished Greek. Very polished in his writing. And in the book, uh, Acts begins um, in Jerusalem with a small band of waiting believers, frightened, hesitant, uh, uncertain. I mean, that's how the book begins. But if you look at the end of the book, Chapter 28, verse 30, <clears throat> we move forward to the life of Paul. It says, and he lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Now, it's interesting. That that's where Paul is under house of rest of some kind in Rome. Uh, he has a prison, gu prison guard there with him, so he can't leave the house, but he's able to receive visitors. And in verse 30, where we read with boldness, it's interesting that if you look at the, at the Greek text, it's the word boldness is actually the last word used. And the word boldness is the last word in the book of Acts. So it begins with a frightened band of believers, ending with the word boldness, proclaiming the gospel. I think it's a wonderful contrast, um, revealing for us that uh, what, what God intended, which seemed um, impossible uh, by mere human insight, um, God made very possible by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he goes on, and they go on to preach with boldness um, this glorious gospel for which we are recipients to this very day. And that's our purpose. That's it, is to preach the gospel is to build God's people up with the truth of the gospel, equipping them to be able to proclaim the gospel, to give a defense for the gospel. And uh, what would transpire within the first 40 days here um, would set this small band of believers afire. 40 days, which Jesus would appear um, to this small group of people, and what he would speak about most during those 40 days had to do with the kingdom. Kingdom language. Now, 40 days ago for us was January 1st. Seems a long way back, doesn't it? A lot of things have transpired. A lot of things have been said. A lot of things have been done um, since January 1st. So imagine 
from January, February 1st to now, it's the period of time in which Jesus would come and go among these disciples, teaching them again about the kingdom. So what was said and done, Luke says, uh, the last thing he did was to give commandments through the Holy Spirit to the chosen apostles, and one of those commands was to wait. Wait. And we have a problem waiting often. He says, wait. They obey. We're going to see next week a uh, focus on obedience. They were very obedient. They, they waited, and he showed up. And in the account of Matthew, we read in chapter 28, Jesus said to them, all power and all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make what? Disciples. As you're going, make. Emphasis is on making disciples. Not going, but on making. And that holds true to this day. And that's the command. So uh, prior to that, he appeared by way, the scripture says, of many proofs in verse 3. He appeared by way of many proofs. And, and we're not to re- assume that he resumed day-to-day contact with them as you know he did during his three and a half years. He would show up, disappear, show up, disappear. They were eating dinner one night in an upper room and he just appeared in the room. And he ate with them. He supped with them. So he, he would appear from time to time, and then he would go away again, and that's the idea. And this was showing himself to them continually, affirming what, beloved? The resurrection. They had to know that he had been raised from the dead. To go on and do what they were commanded to do, they had to know with certainty. So they would see him come, and they would see him Go. And scripture says he was, they gave him many proofs. Proof comes from a word that was a favorite um, of Greek philosophers. It's an interesting word. It means a criterion of certainty. A criterion of certainty or a, a token as a defining fact. To give you something as a token that defines the fact of the matter. They needed to know this. Demonstrations of truth that matter. And the truth of the resurrection matters in preaching the gospel. Amen. For without the resurrection, we would not be here. And we would be fools had he not victoriously raised up from the grave. So by the deliberate selection of this word, Luke is telling us that the Lord Jesus spent these 40 days in large measure convincing these people that he has, in fact, blasted out of the tomb. He's alive. He's living. He's the king. He is Lord. It's a true fact. It couldn't possibly be otherwise so that they would be utterly, unchangeably convinced that Christ was back from the dead. So that's one thing he did during those 40 days is to convince them. And then teaching them, of course, of the kingdom. So they needed to know this in order to support themselves against the hostility that would most certainly arise, against persecution and future death. I mean, all of them, with the exception of John, uh, would go on to be martyrs. John would end up in the island of Patmos. And God gave him the revelation of Jesus Christ as he was locked away. 
So they were unquestionably convinced, they had to be convinced, that Jesus, with whom they walked, was indeed the Lord of glory, the King of kings. He is Lord of lords. And they would be able to face the fire and sword courageously. Paul would go on, and he would see the resurrected Christ. And he could only do what he could do uh, with certainty that Jesus is raised from the dead. So... Uh, The apostles now, the sent ones, in knowing that they would go through such things, could also go through such things because they would realize they must go through these things. And that is based on the knowledge of the only redeemer of sinners. He's the only hope, and they must take this message to the world as Jesus instructed them to do. And they were called, notice, to be witnesses of him teaching them as he did about the kingdom of God for those 40 days. Now, they were not yet endowed with the Holy Spirit, perfectly endowed with the Holy Spirit at this point. We'll see that next week. So, they they don't realize the expanse of their teaching. That which they will teach, that which they will proclaim, they don't realize the power and the dimension of that teaching, the limits of that teaching. They're still focused like this, beloved. They're focused like this, as we're going to see in just a minute. They're thinking all about Jerusalem. They're thinking politically. They're not thinking like Jesus is thinking. So they asked. Verse 7. Or verse, uh, let's see. Yeah, verse 7. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. No, let's back up. Verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him. Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to what? To Israel. There's their focus. Now, at first first response, when we look at this, what do we say? Are you kidding me? Are they still asking the same question? Don't they get it? They're still asking about Israel. They had been expecting from day one of, of their meeting him and following him, that he was here to restore the kingdom to Israel. And now that he's back from the dead, during these 40 days, they're asking the same question. Will you restore the kingdom at this time? You know, things like this give me hope. Things like this give me hope for myself, for the body of Christ as a whole, and that is just how patient God is with us you know, if, if the apostles were slow in understanding these things, what hope do we have? That's great hope. Amen? So they're still thinking of a kingdom in, in earthly terms with national boundaries. And Jesus didn't answer the question as they had wished for. They still had these old-fashioned ideas. Political earthly power. And we know that this is what they mean because of the word restore. Will you restore the kingdom? And the word means this, to reconstitute and to place down permanently. To reconstitute what was lost and to place down with permanence. So they hadn't grasped the central teaching of Jesus' teaching for these three years that his ministry would far exceed the boundaries of Israel. His kingdom was a spiritual kingdom. His kingdom is a spiritual kingdom. Amen? 
In Matthew chapter 6, he taught him how to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Where? On earth as it is in heaven. So they had adopted and embraced a very constricted understanding as to the parameters of the kingdom. They were seeking a restoration merely of Israel. But God's plan was that restoration would come from Jerusalem, through Judea, to Samaria, and unto the four corners of the earth. Calvin said in his commentary on the book of Acts, with regard to the disciples' question, he said, there are as many errors in this question as there are words. So true. They were wrong as to, the, as to the sense of victory that Jesus had accomplished. They had no idea at this point. They were wrong as to the constitution of the kingdom that Jesus was building. He came to establish, and one day will fully consummate that kingdom when he comes back. So they were also wrong as to the power with which God builds this kingdom. And their perspective would soon change, Amen. So this gives us hope. And you know what's most interesting and encouraging, especially to pastors, as you look at this, is that they even misunderstood the teaching of Jesus. I mean, have you ever thought about that? And this is very interesting. Now, you'd think that Jesus' teaching, that his preaching would be clearly understood by everyone within earshot. Okay, and we're talking about perfect, flawless exegesis, meaning explaining the text explaining what the text means by what it says. Flawless. Never a mistake in his teaching. Never a mistake in his preaching. Never, never fumbling or bumbling like I do, or any other preacher for that matter. Never a mistake in properly interpreting the text. His hermeneutics were perfect. Hermeneutic means uh, it's the art and science of biblical interpretation. Flawless. They still didn't get it. Some might think of Jesus' ministry where today he'd never receive emails or letters from people, you know, saying, what on earth are you talking about? What do you mean by what you say? I think your research has much to be desired, Jesus. I received emails like that from people that are no longer here when I was teaching through the book of Revelation. People were expecting to hear about a dramatic, secret disappearance of the church before exiting chapter 4. They, they were expecting in Revelation 9, when, when you read locusts like horses prepared for battle with hair like women's hair, teeth like lions, the sound of their wings was like many horses fit for battle with stings in their tail. Expecting that to be interpreted as like Apache helicopters with missiles attached, stings, and tails. Expecting a description with a 21st or 20th century fictional application because of books that they had read. Refusing to embrace the, the in, 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 in interpretive hermeneutic of apocalyptic literature. They didn't get it. And some didn't want to get it. These folks didn't get it. So Jesus does what? He repeats himself over and over and over again. 
the Apostle Paul goes on, and he teaches not unlike Christ, repeating himself over and over again. And that's what teachers do, amen? We train our kids over and over again. I read a book last week um, on leadership entitled The Conviction to Lead by Al Mohler. And he writes this, quote, The effective leader understands that the message has to be communicated again and again and again. If you listen to the most influential leaders, you will see that they repeat themselves over and over again. The closest to you as a leader will hear you say the same things repeatedly. Your closest closest associates will be able to lip-sync some of your lines and expressions. You cannot worry about that. Your charge is to lead. And this means knowing that you will have to show up again and again and again with the same clear, consistent, and courageous message, end quote. Jesus demonstrated that. The apostles demonstrated that. And how many times did they not get it? But they finally got it, didn't they? Because they went on to explain. that What the epistles are is a commentary on the ministry of Jesus, basically. Look at the question they asked. Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom of Israel? They're focused on ethnicity here. They're still focused on their nationality as Jews. They're still focused on Jerusalem. But Acts shows us again that it all begins here. In the end will be a new Jerusalem coming down from where, beloved? From heaven. A new Jerusalem. We're citizens of the new Jerusalem now because we're in Christ, the King. Part of the kingdom. He established that kingdom when he came and it will be consummated fully when he returns. Nothing is to happen in between. The Bible, nothing. It's only, as we'll see at the end of our study, it's only the return of Christ. There's all this left to happen. We're not waiting for some temple to be rebuilt, literal temple, none of that. He's coming back in glory. Now, Jesus told them that he would empower them by the Holy Spirit. But they weren't thinking about spiritual things at this time. Jesus had taught them another way. He taught them that his kingdom was spiritual in Luke 17, 21. The kingdom of God, he said, is where? Remember? It's in you. The kingdom's in you. Jesus said, if I cast out demons... By the finger of God, the kingdom is what? Upon you. The kingdom has come because the kingdom came with the king. And I'm the king. Amen? The kingdom came with the king. But again, they were looking for a, a politically or ethnically restricted kingdom. A political kingdom. Geographically restricted kingdom as when Solomon ruled or when David ruled. But we know that the middle wall of separation has been broken down, Ephesians tells us. And in the courtyard of the temple, known as the Gentile section of the courtyard, there was a a wall that stood three feet high. And the Jews even put little placards on there saying, "To, to exceed this line as a Gentile means death unto you. But that middle wall, that, that, that partition between Jew and Gentile has been broken down in Christ, as Ephesians tells us. 
This they would come to understand because this is what they would go on to write about. So all of the religious paraphernalia that accompanied Judaism under the old dispensation was fulfilled in Christ. The kingdom is now to go to the ends of the earth. That's the message. They were still looking for the return of Solomon's glory. That's like us, isn't it? We get caught up here. This is all we can see. We get our little doctrine, so we put God in this little box, right? We say, well, here's our little structure. This is what we are, so we stand under this banner, and we don't want to move outside of it. But nevertheless, there's a lot of loose ends in certain parts of Scripture, amen? So if you adopt a structure, now you're trapped. But the word is much greater than that. And this is what he's trying to teach them. So he goes on and he says this. But notice what he doesn't do. He doesn't rebuke them harshly. He didn't say, how many times do I have to tell you fools? I'm not going to restore the kingdom to Israel. My kingdom is entirely spiritual. Instead, he says this, verse 7. He said to them, It is not for you to know. Times are seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you, notice this, you will receive power. You, my disciples, my apostles, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You know, far too many believers are in the business of setting dates. How many, how many dates has Harold Camping made? Seriously, how many? Do you know? Is it four? Four or five? Last year it was May 21st. And he says, oh, I did some numbers. I crunched the numbers again. It's going to be October 21st. And then it was 88, and then it was 92 or something like that. So four or five times. He's been wrong every time. Anyone who sets a date, we know they're wrong. No man knows the hour, Jesus said. Jehovah's Witnesses have set dates. Seventh-day Adventists have set dates. A number of dispensational prophecy, quote-unquote, experts have given dates. There are things that we are not to know. So we need not spend the effort speculating, amen? It's not for you to know, Jesus said. Not even Christ's apostles were given the time of a new Jerusalem descending down from heaven. Not even them. The apostles... We're not being equipped by our Lord Jesus Christ to be prophets first of all. Jesus wasn't equipping them to be prophets first of all. That is, their job was not to be a foreseer or teller of the future. You know, one who fixed times and dates and that type of thing. According to God's providence, those whom he would inspire to write Holy Scripture, as we're reading here, Uh, would indeed write about things to come, as Paul would. Things that would come, uh, as John wrote. Truly and accurately, they would write those things, but there is no clear picture of the moment or the time in which Jesus will return. That was not their main job, to be a, a foreteller of truth. And that's not the role of the church. That's not our role. Our role is to make disciples. So we don't have to worry about like reading the news report. I like the news. But if we attempt to take what's going on in the news and press it into the Bible, that's exactly what they were doing. 
We're not to do that. A lot of a lot of people in our day like to stir up excitement, and they hold prophecy um, conferences. They break out break out charts, and, and they scare the wits out of people. We're not to be walking around fearful at all. But that's what some of these things do. Um, I've witnessed it personally. You know, they're trying to identify the Antichrist rather than just preach Christ. So some things are simply not for us to know. Jesus has made clear. Um, and even the apostles' function was, again, not primarily prophetic. The function of the apostolic age was not to foresee the unknown future, but rather to establish the historic truthfulness of the gospel. The foundations of the Christian faith. Judaism and and how it all pointed to Jesus. That he's the fulfillment of all these glorious promises. That is the commission. Now, that's not exciting to some, because it's, it's rather mundane, amen? Discipleship is hard work, isn't it? And you know what it is? It's work. You disciple your children, you disciple your children, that's work, amen? What do you do? You teach them over and over again the same truth. Sometimes you want to pull your hair out. My mom, I was thinking about this morning, wanted to pull her hair out every Sunday we would come to church. Now, if my dad wasn't working out of town, there was no problem. But if it was just, us, just mom and us, we would try to take advantage of mom. I was just thinking about this this morning. Like, man, because I watch families walk in, and my wife and I were talking on the way in, saying, you know, it's a lot of work to get all the kids together, hustle them together, get them in the car, get them to church, and, you know, fidgeting and crying and moaning and sinning, and then we sin to them, amen? (laughs) That's life. But we have to persevere. There's a work to be done. Yes, Christ has done all the work, but are we called to work? You better believe we are. Because we can. We're enabled, empowered by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit descended. When the Holy Spirit comes, he will empower you for this work. And it does sometimes seem routine. It does sometimes seem mundane. So we don't have to pull away from that to to make things exciting because the news says this, so let's look at this and let's interpret this as this. We have to be very careful about things like that. That's what they were basically falling into here. So Jesus talks about power from a much different vantage point. And it's all about his gospel. It's all about building up the saints and the truth. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my, for the purpose of, being my witnesses. My witnesses. Witnesses in what way? In the way that John wrote. 1 John 1, listen to this. You can turn there if you want, or you can just listen. 1 John 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we've looked upon, which we've touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest. We have seen it. We testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too 
may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father, with His Son, Jesus Christ, and we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. That's the testimony. That's what we testify about. The same thing John testified about. A witness to the facts of the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we do that with power. So to carry this out, they would have to be empowered to do so. And the last thing Jesus said before he, before he ascended was, whatever else, basically, whatever else you guys get wrong, don't get this wrong. Don't predict my second coming. It's not for you to know times and seasons. The Father's established it. It's in his mind. And even in Jesus' earthly human nature, didn't know. Does he know now? Well, of course he does. But in his humanity, he said, only my father knows. So we need not to predict the fulfillment of all these prophecies. Verse 9, and when he said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them with white robes. And said, Man of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Amen. Oh, you'll know. There's nothing secret going to happen before that. I don't see it anywhere in Scripture. Nowhere. You can jump through some hoops and bounce on some trampolines to, to, to conclude something that you want to believe. But the Bible's clear. The next glorious event to happen is the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is interesting too. He's taken up and they're gazing into heaven. That is not where Christians are supposed to be. Continually gazing into heaven. Paul addressed the Thessalonians for doing that very same thing, right? We just all quit our jobs now and go sit on a hill somewhere and look for Jesus' return. No. We're to be about his business. Now, it's, t- it's good to look to heaven in times, amen? Sit on my front porch and I look up at the clouds and, and, and you think about everything that's transpired since Christ has come everything that transpired before Christ came the first time. It's like he could return at any moment. This is the hope we have. But we're not meant to, to remain in such a position because there's this work to do. There's teaching to do. There's disciples to make. There's preaching to be done. And that's to be done in, our, in church. And that's to be done in our homes. And that's to be done in missions. There's missions to be involved in. Right? We're going to pray for the Warwicks today. They'll be going to Africa, I think, in a week. (coughs) Dr. Steve Van Horner will be here to preach in three weeks or so. You know, the guy I go to Africa with, who's been preaching and teaching pastors down there to do to do this. To do this. Now, think about this. Had they not seen, Je- had seen Jesus ascend literally, physically, 
taken away with a cloud, they might have always been waiting for him to show up again, right? For 40 days, he disappeared and showed up. This is final departure to be taken up physically. The final thing that he will do until the second coming. And that's to ascend to the Father. Being lifted up, he was, he was taking his humanity, the throne of God, to the throne, the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Physically. And will always maintain that physicality. Resurrected, glorified Lord Jesus Christ, always bearing the marks of the cross. Our redemption. Amen. So... He provides them and he, he provides us with a foretaste of the next great redemptive event to take place. And that's his return, where he will judge the living and the dead. It has nothing to do with Israel. It has nothing to do with Jerusalem, but it has everything to do with a new Jerusalem descending down out of heaven, for which we are already part of. Now, kingdom children, Members of the household of faith, that's what you are. And we preach this message because this is the only message that saves. It's this message, it's the gospel message that saves. And it's the only message that has the power to save. We have the Spirit, we proclaim it in the Spirit, and we trust Him to transform lives. We don't have to do that, amen? And as we'll learn this morning in Romans 9, the reason that the gospel is effective is because of divine sovereign election. And all those he chose to save in eternity past will come to believe in due time, at some time or another. You may resist. How many times did you resist the gospel? But because you were chosen before the foundation of the earth, it was guaranteed you would have ears to hear. That's the beauty of it. We can rest in that. We can rejoice in that. You might not understand it. But it's true. So the second coming will occur, will occur here on a cloud with angels, with a trumpet of God. And, and, and in that period between his ascension here in Acts and his second coming, he's saying to them, he's saying to us, catch the vision. It's world mission. Do it where you live. Do it where you stand. Do it in your home. You know, not everyone's called to go to be a missionary somewhere, you know? And I don't think guilt should ever be put on the church to do that. Those who God calls to do that, they'll know, and they go. We, we, we make disciples. That's all we're called to do, make disciples. Make disciples of your family. It's not up to you con to convert your kids. It's not up to me to convert anyone who walks in here and is unbeliever. That's up to God. We'll just be faithful to his truth, amen? And that's all he's telling them to do. And I do believe we should be involved in missions, and, and I don't think we have to go reach out to say who we attach ourselves to. God has already provided that for us. And I believe that God wants us, first and foremost, of course, to make disciples here, but also to support uh, these ministries that he has placed right here before us that are, happens to be connected to Africa. Item ministry. Steve Van Horn, he'll, be, he'll give an update in a few weeks, as I said, when he comes and preaches. I read something very interesting with regard to Africa, by the way. R.C. Sproul wrote this, and he said this, quote, I believe that within 30 years, the largest and strongest branch of Christianity will be in Africa. 
and that it is absolutely critical that the church in the United States right now pour as many resources as possible into emerging churches of the third world, particularly in Africa. We have the materials, we have the things that these people need to be grounded and strengthened for future generations. They cannot provide it, but we can. End quote. And that's why I'm really blessed that we're connected with those ministries, and especially item ministry. Because item ministry is focused on equipping pastors to do this, to make disciples, to preach the God, to preach the Word of God as it is to be preached. And then uh, African Christian universities uh, training teachers with a Christian worldview to teach the authority of Scripture and to teach teachers how to do the same thing. It's the same work, amen? It's the same work and we carry it on. And uh, that's the intro to, to Acts 1. Any comments? We can stop recording now. Any comments? Insights?